there is a movement sweeping across the land where fascination, understanding, transformation, and the story come to life. Read the story. Experience the Bible. Good morning and thank you for joining me today. Uh, we'll take some time today to be able to go through either what you just heard in Pastor Mark's sermon or what you will hear in just about 30 minutes from now in Pastor Mark's sermon, going over chapter 6 of the Story Bible, Wandering. And I hope all of you are kind of keeping up reading along in the Story Bible. It really helps kind of set the stage for where we're at. Obviously on Sunday morning, we don't have uh, the appropriate amount of time to go through all of those things, especially in a time like today. Today, the one chapter covers in two entire books, basically from beginning to end. Uh, one of the neat things about today is we wrap up kind of that beginning section, that foundational element of the Old Testament, the Torah, or the five books of Moses, or just the first five books of the Old Testament, however you want to be able to, to look at it. In these two books, uh, is probably some material that uh, we just catch pieces of here and there. There's a lot of neat stories, uh, but we don't always probably dig down really deep. We don't have time to do that today either, as I mentioned, but to look at all of it. Uh, the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy have a lot of different elements in them, but they're pretty foundational for helping us understand the rest of the Bible, the rest of Scripture. So for today, based off of the amount of information we have and the time that we have, and just to do something a little bit different, uh, the handout that I provided you today, a lot of it's just going to be fill in the blanks. There should be some pens and pencils. You don't have to fill it in if you don't want to, but uh, I thought this would be different uh, for some maybe different learning styles that we have. Just to kind of go along, we won't look at most of the scripture verses of opening the Bible because Pastor Mark addressed them uh, in the message today. Again, you've either heard the main ones or you will hear them today. Uh, we still will look at a couple, though. Uh, one of the things I tried to do in here, in this outline, is break up the books. So as you notice, as we go through, I try to kind of put them in sections so you can kind of see how the books are laid out. And uh, I also put the chapter numbers there so you can kind of get a picture of what's going on a little bit better. So why don't I open us up in prayer and then uh, we'll get started on our journey together today. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house of worship and to be able to look at your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the great promise that you have provided your people in the book of Deuteronomy and Numbers. The same promise that we receive today uh, Lord, allow us to trust in that and to be faithful, uh, knowing that you are always completely trustworthy and faithful to us. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so uh, today we'll just start with the book of Numbers. Uh, as I said there, we'll kind of break it down a little bit, and then we're just going to move on to the book of Deuteronomy. It'll probably move uh, fairly quick today. Uh, a lot of the material that's in Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's more laws that are in there. And it probably isn't the best use of our time as a group today to walk through and look at all different laws or different ceremonies. 
I would greatly encourage you to do that on your own, though, to at least skim through. And this is one of the reasons we are going through that story. It kind of breaks down some of the more uh, main elements. And so today we're just going to look at the book broken down in a couple of different ways. Let's start with numbers here, and I will give you the blanks. Don't worry, you don't have to guess or anything like that. Uh, I just wrote this up. Uh, this isn't something that came from uh, scripture or anything like that, but it is a good breakdown if you were to go through and, and read the book on your own. So the first part, there are three major sections in the book of Numbers. The three major sections are all based around locations. They're all based around locations. Um, so you'll see this in the very beginning of the book of Numbers. We start at location number one. We've talked about this place quite a bit. We talked about it in the book of Exodus. Anybody want to guess what the first location is where the people of Israel are gathered? Looks like this. Yeah, Mount Sinai. So that's the first one. There you go. Mount Sinai is that first location that the book of Numbers really starts at. And as it, I said, I tried to put all the chapter numbers there. So on the right where it says Numbers 1 to 12, that's simply the chapters that this section covers. So for the beginning of the book of Numbers, all the people are right there at Mount Sinai. And it's in this moment that, uh, you know, people have been passing away. People have been born. And the tribe looks a little different than it looked a little time ago. And so Moses decides to number the people. And this was quite the task to be able to do. And so he takes a census. That's that second break. Uh, excuse me, blank. He takes a census of all the people that are there. Tons and tons and tons of people. And this is how this book receives its name. Uh, it actually happens again later on that a census is taken, but it really does come directly from that. People always want to know, you know, where did these books get their names? Is it just random? It really isn't. They all have a very specific purpose. And so for the book of Numbers, it's when Moses numbers the people. How many do we have? Uh, what are their categories? What are their groupings? And he puts them all together. But in the story of the people of Israel, as we see over and over and over again, uh, even though God is numbering them, counting each and every one is important, the people still complain. And they complain about everything over and over and over again. It's not even just the people now in the book of Numbers that start complaining. It's uh, Moses' own family members. His brother, Aaron, that remember is his, his right-hand guy that is supposed to support him in everything starts complaining about him. Miriam, his, his sister that's supposed to be there supporting her brother, starts doubting him. Is Moses really the leader? Is he really the one that we should be following? Now, this isn't a reason that we should not uh, question things. God likes us to be able to, to question. God likes us to be able to inquire about things, but what God doesn't want us to do is to be able to, to doubt him, to be able to question what he is, is doing. You see, that's what's really happening when the people in Miriam and Aaron start doubting and questioning. They're really questioning, is God really being faithful to us? Is God really taking us where he wants us to go? And because of this, God sends plagues down upon the people. 
Uh, even Miriam, for what she does in doubting Moses, he gives her leprosy, actually, for a short time. And Moses, as wonderful as he is, he begs to God on behalf of his sister and on behalf of the people, and he says, please, no, don't, don't punish them, don't hurt them. But God says they need to understand. These people need to know that I am serious. They need to know that there is a penalty for being able to, to doubt me. But, God says, I will always still be faithful. And that's where we kind of conclude there at the, mount, at, the mount of, uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai, of God being able to say, I will always be faithful. You need to listen to me. You need to be able to follow me. When we talk about this time of wandering in the desert, this is a, a big piece of that. Uh, we always talk about that 40-year-long period. This is where they're in this wilderness and the people are wandering. Uh, the people are being punished for the promise that God has made to them, but they're having that unbelief. And so from here, God tells the people, I want you to start moving and go on to the next location. Most of us probably didn't hear this one. Maybe you saw it in your readings. Location number two is called Paran, just P-A-R-A-N, just like it sounds, Paran. Uh, this is a wilderness area. Uh, again, this is the chapters of Numbers uh, 13 through 21, so another healthy section of the book. This is where, uh, again, you either just heard about or will hear about in more detail in the, in the sermon today about that story of Joshua and Caleb and the spies going and looking at this place where God says, I have this land flowing with milk and honey, and I want you to be able to go there and take part in this and to be able to live there. And God says, let's go, let's send these spies. So he sends these 12 spies Ten of them say, uh, this place does look great, but uh, the people are giants. Uh, there's a lot of people that are there. We don't think we should do this. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, this place is great. Uh, God says he's going to take us there, and so we're going to go there. When I hear this story, I always think it's so interesting that if God has already told them they are going to go there and that they are going to be successful and that they are going to live there, why do they even send the spies to look at it? Why do they have to see it? Why do they have to, to go? They've already seen so many miracles that God has done. But remember, just because someone sees a miracle or is all of these people have heard the voice of God themselves. They have all heard the voice of God. It doesn't mean that we as humans will listen. A lot of times we become afraid of the things that we can not see, that we don't know are going to happen. And in the case of Joshua and Caleb, and of course the 10 other spies, they become afraid of the things they, they do see. Even though God has already told them, you will be successful, I am going to give this to you, they doubt. This is a good place for us just to have a moment of pause and reflection in this story. How many times do we hear, either here at church in God's word or our own time of personal devotion, that God says he is going to take care of us, that he is going to be with us, 
but because of things that we see in the world, we doubt. Giant problems that we have, numerous problems that are building up. Just the, the question that we have as individuals, is God really taking me to this place? And we have, we have doubts at times, but even in these doubts, God is always still there. In this moment, God gives some people uh, some new laws to be able to follow. They wander around, as I mentioned, for 40 years, not being able to enter the promised land, but God is still faithful. Imagine what that must have been like for those people when God tells them that all of you are going to pass away and not enter into the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. Uh, I'll probably note it in just a moment from now. There are millions of people that Moses has counted in the book of Numbers. Millions. It's probably about 2.2 million people is the approximate number. And out of those 2.2 million people, God says, see these two guys right here, Joshua and Caleb? They're going to be able to go in. All the other ones of this age category are going to pass away. Imagine what that must have been like to the younger generations when God has chosen only two people that are going to be able to see it and then see that come to fruition. Do you know how hard it would be for me in here today to point at any one or two people and say, you know what, they're going to be the two that are going to outlive everybody else in this group of 50 that we have today. It would be super, super difficult. But God points out two people in millions and says, they're going to be the two that make it. And then it happens. But the people still doubt God. Every time God continues to provide signs and continues to fulfill his promises, but the people don't trust and they don't believe. From here, the people move on again. This is our location number three. They go to the plains of Moab. Yes, Chuck. Yes. Mm. I don't know uh, part of it because it doesn't really speak to it a whole lot in Scripture so much. Yes, sir? Yeah, yeah. The, the younger ones will eventually... Uh, that's, that's a promise that God makes, though. It's not just them saying that they're going to believe. Um, I, would, uh, I, I would assume, because nothing is written there, there are probably some people out of that group that probably think uh, it's a decent idea. Obviously, there's not enough of them, and most people are afraid of it and don't want to do it. But Scripture doesn't say anything in particular of they persuaded you know, five other tribes, and five tribes thought it was a good idea, and the majority, the other seven, did not, and so they didn't go in or anything like that. And Caleb, mm -hmm. I. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you're, it's a good, good question. There's two people that doubt at this point. And then that's why 
uh, everything gets fast forwarded. There's so many people doubting. It doesn't give us an exact number of how many that is, but uh, it's obviously something that completely holds everybody back and they don't go in. So there's nothing that, sorry, I don't have anything in scripture that I can say that this verse says yes or no. That would just be me making an assumption that some people probably did, but most people seem like they don't. That's different, though. So remember, that's, that's God's decision, right? That's not, it's, all the young people don't say, this is a great idea, and they all decide. This, that's something that God pushes down upon the people for punishment. So that is later on. Years go by. We'll get to that in just a minute. Years go by, and things change. And I got something interesting for you I'll share in just a second. So let's get to location number three. Location number three, uh, again, if you heard me say, it's the plains of Moab. The plains of Moab. And so this is right uh, toward the end, we lead up to the book, and they're right across from the promised land. They're, they're right there on the heels of being able to go in. This is uh, the point, again, in which Moses takes a new census to be able to number the people, because remember, a whole bunch of the people have passed on, years have gone by at this point, and other uh, enemies around them start to notice the people of Israel a little bit more. Remember, it's not the people of Israel being the only ones who are on the world at this time or something like that. There's other people around them at this time too. This is an interesting scripture. If you want to look at this real quick, there's, uh, I think, three chapters that are dedicated to this. I think it's 22, 23, and 24, if I'm not uh, incorrect. Uh, Balaam is introduced to us in the book of Numbers. And this is maybe a story that you've heard before. Uh, and that's that blank there under location three. Some of the Israelites' enemies hire a prophet named Balaam to curse the people. So this guy is like, think about like, a, he's like a prophet for hire to be able to go out and to be able to put bad juju upon people that are, are around them. So they hire Balaam to be able to be this false prophet to curse the people of Israel because they're growing in number People notice that God seems to be with them, and so he wants uh, them to be able to be cast down. But in that moment, God doesn't allow Balaam to be able to speak bad things upon the people of Israel. It's actually pretty specific. They hire him to cast basically seven bad prophecies upon the people, and he tries, and he can't. But God actually has him instead cast seven blessings upon the people. Every time he tries to do something, he cannot. Uh, this is the story that may be super uh, famous of Balaam's donkey. Uh, of one point, Balaam's donkey actually talks to him. Yeah, this is a really funny thing in scripture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's hitting the donkey, whipping the donkey. The donkey can see that the angel of the Lord is there, but Balaam can't see him. And then they get into this argument. He just starts talking to his donkey like it's, like it's, like it's normal. It's a funny story in, in scripture, but an example of God uh, intervening again on behalf of his people and wanting to be able to, to bless them and be able to uh, take them on. Uh, at the end of this book, Joshua is named as Moses's successor. Remember, Moses uh, cannot enter the promised land. Poor guy. He does like one thing wrong, right? At one point, he doesn't do exactly as God tells him, but he's held to this higher account. But he's still this leader of the people, 
that go on, and we'll hear a little bit about him in the book of uh, Deuteronomy too. So as we read the book of Numbers, it's interesting over and over again to recall uh, how the people keep turning against God, but how God always remains faithful to them. That's kind of, I think, something that's interesting number-wise, that over and over again, the people continue to be able to turn their backs on God, and he continues to always be there for them over and over again, giving them this promised land. And I think that's important for us to remember, too. People who over and over again today sin against God and turn our backs on him, but a God who still says, I have a promised land for you that I want you to be able to enter. All right, let's move to the book of Deuteronomy, the back page there. Um, if you were wondering, the book of Deuteronomy uh, it comes basically right after Numbers in uh, authorship, if you will. The book of Numbers takes place uh, basically like in the uh, 1400s, 1400 BC. Uh, so this would have been right around 1406 or 1407 BC is when this was written, uh, right before uh, Moses passes on. There's kind of four main sections here. This isn't based off locations, though, in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, the four sections are based off choices. They're based off choices that the people have. So the main overarching theme there, uh, that's the next two blanks. You can enter the promised land, God tells them, and choose life. You can choose life and blessings that come from following God. Or you can choose, what do you think the second one is? Yeah, death. You can choose death and destruction and exile if you don't want to uh, follow God and you want to be uh, disloyal to him. So that's what happens in all of these choices in the next four. So section number one, this is the intro. That's that first blank. The intro, it's chapters one through four. And this is more of a retelling of what has happened in the books that we have just gone over. I was talking about uh, a little bit of Genesis fuel, but Exodus uh, and Numbers in particular. A little bit of Leviticus and the law that's in there. So this intro goes over all the things that we've already talked about, all the big stories. It talks about the ten plagues. It talks about the ten commandments. It talks about the people choosing false gods over and over again. Uh, and it talks about people even saying that they want to go back into slavery. And so the choice that's here is the people need to make a choice to trust in God. Super simple. At least we would think that and say that. The people need to make a choice to trust in God to save them or reject God as the past generations have done. So remember, this is when the people have all passed away. This is when the younger ones now are coming up. And God does the exact same thing with them as he did with their forefathers. He gives them a choice. Do you want to be able to go into this land or not? As they mull that choice around, we come to section number two. Section number two is based all upon God's laws. God's laws. And here are the choices that people uh, need to recommit themselves to God. All those generations that are coming up need to say, yes, we are going to be faithful to you. Yes, we are going to follow you and the laws that you have provided. Moses actually gives them this really neat practice to be able to do when they enter into the promised land. 
Moses knows, because God has told him and trusts in him, that he is not going to enter the promised land. But he also knows that the people will. And so he tells them that he wants them to do this really neat practice when they enter in. There's these two different mountains, and he wants half of the people to go on one mountain and half of the people to go on another mountain, and half of the people on one side are going to speak about all the blessings that God has told them. They're going to shout these things out, they're going to sing them, they're going to remember them, and on the other half, God has, wants these people to be able to speak all of these laws or these curses that will come down upon them so they can remember. So think about this, kind of this stereo element of somebody being able to speak the law and somebody being able to speak the gospel, also that the people will remember. What are the things that will happen if we do not follow God? What are the things that will happen when we uh, do follow him? And that's kind of neat, I think, for us too to be able to remember God's law and God's gospel. What does God promise for us if we follow his word? On the other hand, what are the consequences we receive when we do not follow God's word? He has these people uh, listen to this and talk about this process. And here we get to the book of Deuteronomy and what it actually means in this section of the law. So the name Deuteronomy actually means second law. That's that first blank. Second law or repeated law. Second law or repeated law. Because that's what's happening in this moment. God is giving other laws to his people and he's also having them remember and repeat the laws that are there. Uh, for all of us, doesn't matter who you are, repetition is a great thing to be able to build things into our memory. This has always been the case for all people, and God is doing that with his people today so that they will remember his law. So second law or repeated law. And if you take all of these laws, there's tons of them. Like I said, if you want to go through uh, Deuteronomy 5 through 28, you'll see all the different laws in there, and you kind of shrink it down to two uh, main summaries. The first one would be to love God, and the second one would be to obey God. That's really what all these laws are. Love God and obey God. So an example of uh, laws for loving God would be uh, worshiping him, would be uh, having no idols whatsoever, uh, always putting God number one. Basically, some of those first commandments that we're going to love God above all things. Uh, the second one, obeying God, uh, would be things like being reverent. Remember, he gives all the different laws for their worship of how the worship should be done, both for the priests or for the people, the sacrifices, all those things. So that would be a big piece of that is being obedient to God. Um, there's also a good section in Deuteronomy that talks about taking care of widows and taking care of orphans. It says this is a, a big deal for all the people in this group. We need to figure out to take care of orphans, widows, and it talks about marginalized people of all uh, different factors. And again, an important one for us to be able to remember today. This is still part of our calling for the people who are around us to be able to take care of those who need help. Uh, there's a big section in here, even in, uh, although they haven't even got to the promised land thus yet, about tithing, 
about what they should do with their funds or what they should do with the things that they, they have. Uh, so that's an interesting piece in there too about the law. All right, section number three. This section uh, is all about the future, the future and the choices that will be made. This piece is super short. I didn't know what else to name it, 29 and 30. It's just two chapters. Moses gathers all the people together and says, in the future, I know you are going to be unloyal to God. I know you're going to be unloyal to God, but when this happens, God is going to exile you, but he will restore you again. So he's looking into the future of the things that are yet to come, and he says, this will happen, but remember, God will always be there with you. Even though that other generation has passed away, it doesn't mean that sin completely passed away with them. And it's this warning uh, or kind of this caution sign for that younger generation to be able to remember. Section four is the closing. It's the closing. And it's basically the closing of the Torah. Again, those first five books, uh, it almost reads uh, as an appendix. If you look at this, uh, chapters 31 through 34, it really kind of lists a lot of the different things that are going to happen in the closing of this book. I jotted some of them down there. Uh, the choice here would be basically, are you going to enter the promised land? God is still giving it to the people. You're allowed to make this final choice. Are you going to enter the promised land? Here are the things that are going to happen. Moses is going to die. Joshua is going to become the next in line. We have all the laws that are written down. Uh, Moses sings this beautiful song to be able to remind the Israelites of what God has done. Uh, Moses blesses the people. And at the very end of the book, Moses finally does die. And his death is uh, almost poetic. These are the couple verses I actually want us to look at today as we close. So if you have uh, your Bible with us or your phone, if you want to look up... Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. Here we go. Now we can do it. Um, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite of Beth Bethpor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. I love that. How cool is it that it says, when it says he buried him, it's actually saying that God is the one that did it, right? And I have no doubt that Moses must have been in pretty good shape. He has him climb the mountain first. The last thing he does, he goes on a hike before his death, but to hear the words there, that it's still in his eye. He's 120 years old, but this vigor is still in his eye. The strength is still in his bones because everything that Moses did was not based off of his own physical strength and ability. It's what God was really doing through him up to his last day. What a great challenge for all of us. No matter what's going on, no matter what physical elements that we face, no matter what burdens or barriers that we have, all of these things, God can still work through us. And then it goes on a little further there, Exodus 34, 10 through 12, great closing. And there has not arisen, excuse me, Deuteronomy, yeah, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses 
whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to the servants and to all this land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. There's never been one, they said, a prophet that can do these miracles, these signs, these wonders that God did through him until we move forward, right? We move forward and we see that another one comes to be able to do exactly what Moses did for the people, but for all people, even those people that crossed the Red Sea. Somebody who does signs, somebody who does wonders, somebody who does miracles, somebody who has that vigor up until his very final day. And we know what his name is, and we read about him soon in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. Yeah, that Savior that comes for each and every one of us. Got a question, Ron? Uh, that still is basically like all in that 40-year timeline, yeah. Um, if you look at Exodus when they're leaving and when the Exodus happens and when they wander, I mean, it's a little over 40 years. I mean, it's not like 100 years or anything like that. I'll have to look up the exact... Uh, oh, no, it's not that long, no. No, they're remaining in there beforehand and still going through that. Let's, let me get together a timeline for you. I'll even pen out a little timeline for this week. I'll actually bring it next week. I would like, I gotta, go, I gotta run over to the other service because it started one or two minutes ago or something like that. So let me, say, let me say a closing prayer. I'll get that together for you, Ron, I promise. We'll figure it out to the exact year as close as possible. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time again that we have today uh, to be able to recognize what you continue to do through your people. And Lord, uh, we do uh, come to you heartily sorry for our sins of the times that we don't trust or don't listen. But Lord, please, through your spirit, as you did through people like Martin Luther, continue to fire us up today to be able to hear you and to be able to respond appropriately to your calling. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.